Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Listen Frontier. Uh, my name is Dylan Goforth. I'm the editor of The Frontier. I'm here today with Monroe Nichols. Uh, Monroe, how are you doing? Doing great, man. So you announced that you are going to officially run uh, for Tulsa mayor. Yeah. Uh, when that happened, I mean, obviously we'd heard, I mean, I think even in the past 12 months, we've heard plenty of names, people who might be in, might be out, right. you know. You were the first one who officially declared, and so I, when that happened, I went and tried to read a bunch of, one thing I like to do is read old stories. Yeah. Like, you can read, I can find a story, you know, where you're quoted today, but, like, yeah, it's more yeah. fun to find old yeah, stories. Right. So uh, I love you doing all that background. Yeah, so Thank Eric you. Bailey, uh, <laughs> who I worked with at the Tulsa World, a sports writer, he, he covers OU now, but he covered TU in the past. Yeah, that's right. And he had, um, I think, a couple of stories I found that, one that I think specifically focused on you uh, when you were in college and your political aspirations, yeah. which I, was, I just thought was really interesting. When I was in college, I don't even know if I knew who the governor was, honestly, when I was in, in college. And so I'm always fascinated to see people who, um, you know, particularly someone who's an athlete yeah. and is, you know, is an athlete. They're practicing all the time, working out, class, right. and also interested in politics. Right. So your interest in this kind of thing goes back a long way. I yeah. mean, what, when did that start for you? Was it pre-college? I mean, at what point were you like, yeah. no? Because, I mean, even that story, you were saying, I want to be the governor of Texas one That's day. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. That's no, oh, it's, 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 it's a misprint. Was that, well, I'll, get, a misprint. I'll get on to Eric about that. I'll ask there's, him why there's, he misquoted you. a misprint. You. I think I said Mayor of Tulsa is Mayor what I said. Tulsa, and it came it. out in the article. You know, I've been, I've been trying to get a, a reprint of that ever since then. You know, it's really interesting. So part of it is uh, my story growing up. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a probation officer. Uh, I had a, one grandfather that was a Air Force veteran and a pastor, um, and you know I, I've, I've even said before, like you know, it was one of those things where the, whether it's the the feds watching you or God. Like I grew up, you know, walking a pretty straight narrow deal on the on the accountability end because of the uh, my grandfather being a pastor, my mom and dad being a probation officer and police officer, uh, respectively. But I think so much of that has been part of the public service DNA in my family. My mom, though, even more directly, uh, chaired the Housing Authority Board years ago in my hometown, and she went to a Housing Authority National Conference in D.C., and I got to visit the Capitol for the first time at 15 years old, I think it was. And this is pre, you know, security measures we see today. This is pre-9-11, certainly pre-January um, uh, 6th, so it was pretty open. You know, you could, you could you know, go right into the chamber. I was taken by the idea that there were so few people who were sitting in the chamber who were making really big decisions about everybody else. And I thought about, man, how cool would it be to be in that environment, to be able to have that ability to change folks' lives, given the kind of things I was exposed to that you're exposed to when your dad's a police officer, your mom's a probation officer, and your grandfather's a pastor. Like, you get a really unique view on what people are going through every day. And so I was taken by that. How does it compare? I mean, obviously, you spent time in the legislature and yeah. you've been in politics. How does the reality compare to what you thought it might be like when you were that age or when you were in college? It's a little, little bit different than what I thought. You know, I, I think it's like, uh, you know, those videos, like what people think I do and what I actually do. Right. Uh, what I thought it was was more like the West Wing where, you know, the, the really good ideas, you know, the better angels speak to people and the good ideas make it across the finish line. Um, that's not always true. I, I will say I think there are really, really good people in politics. I think the problem is, you know, what we produce is a lot worse than the people who are there, typically speaking. So there is something where we don't – we miss the mark often, even though, you know, I think – and I say that about folks who disagree with me politically because I think it's true. Um, but I think what 
I didn't have an eye for back then was what we deal with right now. You're, you're in journalism. You don't know what this is about, you know, how much misinformation is out there, how many conspiracy theories out there, how easy it is to, you know, um, get some of this radicalism to infect our, 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 public, our public and civic life. Uh, and so, like, that has been interesting. I have come up in elected politics really at the same track of, of a lot of those things, right? Like misinformation, I think, you know, it's always been out there some level of intensity uh, in 2016 and, and since then. I was first elected in 2016, and so my reality in the legislature has been this new reality we have, uh, and so it's quite a bit different than what, how I saw right. the world back in 2005 <laughs> and 2006. Yeah, social media definitely plays, I mean, a huge role in that too, and that was a thing that, you know, I mean, we kind of we take for granted that it's how – it kind of interferes and interacts with people's lives. And then you realize that it's really just in the last, you know, two decades. And it's been, and even less than that, that it's been a political In fact, I remember, I think it was, I I know we could have to talk to Mark Zuckerberg, but I think it was 2004 or five, the Facebook, you had to have like a .edu deal. So it was only for colleges. And only specific colleges at first. It wasn't all of them, right. That's right. And so now, you know, it's become something completely different. And it's only one of many now that we have. So yeah, the world's completely different. Um, and I think that certainly affects, uh, you know, what people go to the legislature, what people do in any public spaces, how they show up, what they care about, what they vocalize is oftentimes based on things that are, are, are a bit of mad, imagined, not true. I want to talk a little bit about Tulsa, obviously. You know, when you announced the Tulsa World did a story with you, had an interview with you, and, yeah. and you, you had a quote, something about, said, you said, if you're mayor, people care about the trash getting picked up, traffic yeah. lights, uh, that kind of stuff. I think you were talking about sort of the, partisan nature of politics sure. you know, these days and sure. how you know far apart the the two parties can be and i i read that quote and i and i i think it's it's like one of those quotes that i feel like is half true and then yeah. half maybe not because i know i mean i'm in tolson and that's yeah. right when, when the storm hit and right. we all lost power for a week right. and we get our power back and what was the one question everyone asked well when's the city going to come pick the tree limbs up yeah, you know yeah. it's, those are the things that people are impacted by sure. most often but when I think about like a particular um, Bynum in his two terms, and I think what a lot of people think about when they look back at his eight years or what will be eventually his eight years in office, uh, I think the things that they'll think about are COVID, yeah. the COVID response, you know, yeah. the Trump rally, yeah. uh, you know, race massacre, centennial issues, and you know, the, the search for the victims' bodies and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. The bigger things, you know, right. I mean, they may be impacted daily by the the more routine things, but. Um, the bigger issues play a role, too, in shaping sort of public opinion of, you know, whoever this person is. And I wondered, when you look at Tulsa and the role of of mayor, uh, how do you look at some of the bigger issues like that? And and the role of, I mean, every mayor is going to look at it different. You see with Bynum, the ways that he weighs in on some things and chooses not to weigh in on other things. How... How do you view your role as, you know, if you were elected mayor in, yeah. in you know, issues that are that, that size, are that big? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things is, well, A, part of it is consistency. You mentioned, like, sometimes we're in, sometimes not. I think there's some consistency in when people want to hear uh, their elected leaders speak up on whatever the issue may be. Um, I think it's true that we have some deep divides in this community, and a lot of that's based on, History. A lot of that is the nature of a city that is uh, very purple, so diverse perspectives that are all hitting at the same time. Uh, and when I made the comment about most of these things not being partisan, I actually still believe that to be true. Even some of the things you lifted up, 
we have those conversations in the political context, but but they're not necessarily partisan. These are how do we come to terms with who we are as Tulsans. And I think a mayor has to be a lead on that and not just lead when there's a fire. Um, you know, you have to lead on that in, in all days. You got to lead with how we're going to be a unified city. You have to lead on how we're going to make decisions that are consistent, no matter who might be coming to town or whatever the case may be. I think the moment that you, you, you break that level of consistency, you surprise people. People get really frustrated. People get angry. Uh, and, that's, and that's the real problem. Uh, I'd also say that, you know, I mentioned um, how I was brought up, who raised me and that type of thing. And so I have a perspective about how you just have these conversations with folks, right? We all have that. It's different and diverse. And so, like I, so for me, I think it all comes back to, um, as I said before, we're all in Tulsa. we got to figure these things out together. So whether that is potholes or whether that's um, looking at the mass graves or whether that's, you know, a pandemic that might hit or an economic uh, downturn that we might have, I think meeting those with consistency, uh, making sure that we're, making, we're, we're meeting those challenges in a unified way is really important. When I, when, uh, when I announced, I talked about the need to uh, expand the economy from a job creation standpoint. Um, I talked about ending homelessness and addressing our affordable housing issues, making Tulsa the safest big city in the country. Um, you got to meet those challenges with consistency as well. Uh, there's not a lot of partisanship in, you know, anybody saying those are, are true. We may have different worldviews of how we come at them. But again, I think the, the, the unifying force of a mayor makes a big difference. You mentioned Tulsa and the sort of the purple nature of the, you know, the political breakdown of the city. And I wondered, you know, I was thinking about that before we started the interview is does that is that a challenge for i mean it's a, you know obviously it's a nonpartisan race everyone's right. going to be in the race together um i i wonder if the purple nature of the city presents something of a challenge potentially because when i think like for instance when i think of uh mayor bynum i remember talking to him in 2020 when he was running for re-election and, you know, like I said, it's a nonpartisan thing. Everyone's in the same, you know, race together. And most often the stories that were written about were about Bynum and his uh, Democrat challenger, Greg Robinson sure. at the time. Sure, And that was the big focus. You know, it's a Robinson, young, you know, sort of a different, more progressive, obviously, uh, candidate. And I would ask Bynum about it, and he would say, you know, I'm not – It's he felt like his main competition was not only – Greg Robinson on the left, but he had an opponent on the right, too. Sure. And so he found himself in a position where he, I think because of COVID, which obviously was a unique challenge, but um, he found himself being, you know, someone to the right of him and someone to the left of him and right. trying to figure out how to navigate, how do I be progressive enough for the liberals and conservative enough for the, you know, conservatives. And in a city that's more heavily blue or more heavily red, you don't maybe face as many of those issues. And yeah. I just wonder, what is, is it unique you know, the prospect of being a Democrat mayor in a purple city? I don't know that's – I'm not sure that it's unique. I think it's a, an amazing opportunity, right? Like, uh, one of the things I talk about quite a bit is who we've been in the past as Tulsans. We were once the old capital world. We were once the center of black wealth in the country. If you think about the, the tribes and what they the, – the industries that they built outside of gaming and, and how all that uh, has had its collision here in Tulsa – I think it's really talking about people reminding them who we've been and then us thinking about who we can be. And so like, I don't really, the purple nature of it isn't a big deal. It's really selling the vision of who we are as a collective. Uh, and I think that is a challenge for anybody, but I think there's a real opportunity in that. I think there's a lot of freedom in meeting challenges. If you're, if you're, hey, if you're meeting them and you're meeting challenges because 
you know, um, there's there's data that shows that that we need to meet this challenge. Uh, we can pull people in this community to meet this challenge. Uh, we can get some we can get some things done. I my career has been um, one that uh, it's almost like a, I don't know. Have you watched Ace Ventura movies? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know he takes a deep breath. And then he's going through all of his evidence. And, you know, that explains the abrasion on your palm. You know, he does that whole right. thing, right? Uh, I feel like that's kind of how my career has been. You know, I started the mayor's office, did the OU Tulsa thing as chief of staff to the president. We were doing, working on community health issues. Uh, went from there to the career tech where I managed economic development centers, to the chamber of business retention, retention and expansion, uh, to founding a nonprofit and then running for the legislature. What I've learned over those years and working on all those issues and nonprofit management, government, everything else, some amazing people in this town. I have no idea where their partisan affiliation lies, but I know their passion is about meeting some of these challenges we have. And if we can take those those issues out of the political context and just talk about how do we improve the quality of life in Tulsa, uh, there's a like, for lack of a better term, not only do we, are we purple politically, we got a lot of purple people here, people who are just saying like, hey, I'll roll up my sleeves and get this done. Um, you know, who they vote for for president, I don't really care. Uh, but if they're willing to to roll up their sleeves, which I think people here largely are, um, it's a great opportunity to, to to be a mayor of a purple city. You talked a little bit earlier about some of the where your focuses would be, you know, as mayor, and you mentioned, uh, you know, homelessness, education. Yeah. I wanted to talk about education a little bit. Obviously, it's a big topic in Tulsa currently with everything right. that's going on. As a lawmaker, you have been outspoken um, about Ryan Walters and, and yeah. how he, uh, you know, has. Uh, his short so far term as uh, superintendent, you would be coming in um, as mayor basically around the time the next school year would start. I'm assuming these issues are not going to be <laughs> fixed yeah, by then. Yeah. So what you know, as mayor, w- w- you would be in a city with a school district who, like any urban school district, any school district this size, has unique challenges right. and does have difficulties. What? How would you, um, as mayor, weigh in on, on education issues? Maybe not necessarily getting involved between the State Department and TPS, but what would you, what yeah. would your role be? Yeah, Dylan, I don't know if you, how much you know about Impact Tulsa, uh, but I co-founded that organization. And that organization was built on the framework that we all have a stake in supporting kids in school, that we want a high-quality education for every Tulsa area student. And so that means that whether you are sitting at the city or you're at, to you or OU or OSU or you're at Tulsa Tech or you're a business owner and you're the chamber, like we all have some role to play in what we're doing here. I do that same work now across the country. In fact, I was just in Salt Lake City yesterday and the mayor of South Salt Lake, which is a you know kind of a suburb of Salt Lake City, uh, a decade ago started <clears throat> um, this Promise program and made a city department out of it. And this department is all about how is the city going to interact with all these partners who have a stake in, in, in public education in South Salt Lake. What they have done, when they started that, there were, I think, four schools in that community uh, that were turnaround schools. So, like, you know, they were schools that faced significant challenges, student population, that kind of stuff. They now have zero. Uh, because I think, you know, although you don't hire and fire a superintendent or you don't, you know, appoint school board members or anything like that, can any of us think of something that's more important to a city's vitality long-term than a strong system of public education? Because that's where the share of the kids are. Now, I think you want to make sure that all of our education resources are where they need to be, but, you know, we can't build a long-term, sustainable, strong economy that, that companies are going to come for, A, for the long-term workforce, but also their employees aren't going to come here, right, unless we get that right. And so that makes it the job of a mayor, in my opinion, right? And so, and so you know, uh, I talk a lot about affordable housing. 
I can tell you there is data to suggest, and and I, it's actually a very specific example in Memphis to the same as some of the national work I do, right? We were looking at uh, early literacy rates and kindergarten readiness rates in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, we found, if you, you focus in on it, uh, particularly for young kids of color uh, and a particular socioeconomic demographic, kids are chronically absent. You look at the, the jump, what happened was there was um, a, a slew of evictions, and so these kids were all over the place. And so housing stability kept them out of school, which kept them, kept them from getting better outcomes. Now, just like you know, the, the business of teaching math is not the mayor's job, the business of stabilizing housing is not the superintendent's job. And so we're asking the superintendent to deal with a city problem, but we're saying we're not going to deal with a school problem. And I think, I think that fundamentally has to change. Well, you, you obviously talked just now a little bit about homelessness too, <clears throat> but um, I always think of homelessness, I think people sometimes think of it as too much of like a, it, of like a one size, you know, yeah, like homelessness yeah, yeah. is no, one yep, issue. Yep. And it's not. <clears throat> if you look at, you know, right. Tulsa's uh, homeless population, it's it's a mixture of right. um, chronically homeless people, temporary homeless people. I mean, there's a lot. You know, it's not it's not a thing you can fix by doing one thing. That's right. And so, and it does play a role in in education. We did a story a year or two ago that that looked at that, and we had a bunch of data about right. how you know kids who I think the the data that we got was children who had attended more than two public schools in one year. Right. You know, were moving right, right, constantly right. to different places, right. and it, it does have a huge impact. And so, how what are some ways that that um, that the mayor's office or that the city can do better with homelessness from you know from both perspectives? Yeah. You know, not not just you know the, what you might think of people in tents in the, right, in right, the right, woods right. or something, but like what? How can the the mayor's office you know improve that for everyone? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things you mentioned it right, like um, you know, so I'll, I'm, I'm gonna give you a quick story and then then I'm gonna answer that directly. Got him by the name of Jeffrey Canada, started the Harlem Children's Zone in New York City, became the model for promised neighborhoods across the country. Um, years ago, they got a federal program for it. Jeffrey Canada, so thinks about this stuff really deeply, right? He tells a story, and I may fudge a little, but this is pretty, pretty darn close. He tells a story when he got on the board of a cancer research institution in New York City. He gets there, and he's like, his first question was to the medical researchers there, um, we spent trillions of dollars on cancer research why do we still have cancer? And one of the researchers told him, he said, well, you know, the problem is you're thinking about cancer is it's one disease. Cancer is 400 diseases. Right. And so, you know, solving for one does not necessarily mean, it, it'll, it may teach you something, but it doesn't necessarily mean you fix the other deal. So we can't have one intervention that's evergreen for all cancers. The same thing with homelessness. I would suggest the same thing for education, so on and so forth. Back to the homelessness issue. Um, I think the point in time count that I saw most, most recently broke down you know, the reasons why people in that survey said they were homeless, a share of them were victims of domestic violence. Uh, there were some folks who were veterans. So you think you can automatically, if you connect with VA services, take a big chunk out of that. Some communities have actually ended veterans' homelessness, actually, so it's possible to do. Um, there was a, a share of folks that were 18 to 24, which suggests to me there was some breakdown uh, as they were coming through the system. I know there's, like, mental health underpins a lot of this stuff. A mm -hmm. lot of tribal citizens, and we know we can do better in our relationship with tribes. So, like, if we spent more money... Uh, on frontline workers to help us understand the conditions as to why people are homeless. The fact is we're spending a lot of money on those same issues right now. Um, are we targeting them to the right place? Maybe not. Are we doing proper outreach to people who actually need them? Probably not. So there's a share of this is like, you don't really need to create anything new. You got to really think about where you're investing money to make sure you understand where people are struggling and get them where they need to go. Uh, if somebody is in crisis, 
but they got to go 10 places to get their problem solved. Well, they're going to continue to be in crisis. They got time to go 10 places. I don't have time to go. You don't have time to go 10 places for something, right? Um, And so we got to find a way. How do we streamline those services? Because the answer is probably maybe not, you know, if we have, you know, I think the point in time counts 2,100 people or something like that on the street. We built 2,100 houses. That is not going to solve our problem. Um, we got to address those underlying issues. And, you know, this is a community with our philanthropic giving and, and everything else. We probably have the, re- I, I, not probably, I know we have the resource to meet that need. It's understanding how do we specifically meet the needs of each individual person who's going through it right now. You know, I want to ask, too, about, um, I was looking at the list of uh, Tulsa mayors, past Tulsa yeah, mayors. Yeah. It's a lot of familiar names. Yep. You know, Bartlett, Bynum, yeah, yeah. Fortunes, you know, multiple of Fortunes. Yeah. You would represent the first black mayor That's right. in Tulsa um, at a pretty interesting time for race-related issues in yeah. Tulsa. You, we just had the race massacre centennial. Yeah. There's still, we've talked about it, the search, you know, for the for mass grave sites from the massacre. Um, the reparations lawsuit was just dismissed by a judge. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And I just wondered how you viewed what your role would be as Tulsa's first black mayor i mean what you know it's a there are it's every day there's you know stories about you know income inequality is is worse than ever yeah. The, yeah. the 244 you know there's discussions about getting rid of it you know and removing 244 and to you know remove the separation between north tulsa downtown tulsa the rest yeah. of the city well what would that mean to you to be the city's first black so mayor? i mean i think you know it's built on a lot of things then the the sum total of the history of the city uh, so it's important for that reason. Um, the the kind of national profile we've gotten over the last couple of years because of that history. I think all that makes it important. But what I would also say is that because of the career that I laid out, you know, I've worked at, in, in the mayor's office. I've been at the University of Oklahoma. I've been at the Tulsa Chamber. You know, I started nonprofits. I've been in the legislature. Um, I have a pretty diverse view of the city. Uh, and so it's not, although, although I'd be the first... Uh, black mayor and I and, and that's a that's certainly a point of pride. Making history I think is really important, something we should think about take a lot of pride in as Tulsans. Um, but the other thing is is that I've had great exposure to people from across the city, um, from a partisan standpoint, a race standpoint and all that kind of stuff. And I think it provides a unique opportunity to really unite people in these big conversations we're having. Uh, I'm not afraid of those things, right? I'm not afraid to bring folks who are from different parts of town and be able to, you know, you know, have that cone of trust and we can have a real conversation about how we feel about something. I think that's going to be another job of the next mayor. I think, you know, unity is built on this idea that you can trust one another. Um, we used to say all the time that partnerships move at the speed of trust. Um, I would say that cities also move at the speed of trust. So I think this is a great opportunity for us as uh, voters to elect uh, someone who represents the future of who we are um, and it I think it also says hey it also means we can take these steps as a community that maybe we feared we we, we could take together because of maybe there's there's a divide that's there so I look forward to you know using the the, the all the parts of my history uh, here in Tulsa and bringing all that together and giving everybody across the city everything that I have uh, I think not only will we get uh, better outcomes uh, we obviously will make history but what I'm really interested in is, in the history that I, that I would like for us to make, is the history we'll make when we start improving outcomes for folks. Can we be a community that ends homelessness? Can we be a community that becomes the safest big city in the country? Can we be a community that, you know, is able to expand our economy in a way that folks who've never looked at Tulsa are looking at it and want to be here? Uh, I think we can do those things, too. And I, so I think the election 
truly historic. The opportunity to bring the community together is 100% there. And I think what that means as far as what we believe we can accomplish, what we will accomplish, is going to be the true amazing thing about why this is going to be a watershed election uh, in the history of our city. So I've got one more question, then I'll let you go. The election is August 2024. It's just about exactly a year away. Just about. Um, you're the first one to officially declare, first candidate to officially jump in the race. So you got a head start. What do you want voters to know about you at this point and, and to know about your campaign? I mean, what, I, I, want, I want every voter to say, you know, I want them to see themselves in this campaign. <clears throat> you mentioned the folks who have been elected uh, before me. Um, I have a slightly different profile than the last quarter century of mayors. One of them I worked for, a fantastic person, and they all have worked really hard and given of themselves. But um, I have a different profile from, from all of them. And even the way we run this race is different from how those races were run. Um, and so I want folks to feel like they have a stake in this campaign because they all, we all have a stake in the, in the future of the city. And so that's what, that's what I want people to think. I want them to look at our campaign, not to say, oh, there's that guy running for mayor. But, hey, here's something that represents an opportunity for us to do something we haven't done before as a city. And I'm not just talking about electing a black mayor. I'm talking about taking care of a lot of these issues that maybe we, we met them with a little bit of apprehension in the past. We don't have to do that, right? Like, we're a city on the move. Uh, but that only happens if folks engage with our campaign, if folks uh, talk to us about the things that are concerning them. Uh, frankly, if folks decide in this marathon that we're running right now, right, this marathon that they're running, that we're gonna that we're gonna run it together. And so, uh, for anybody who listens to this podcast, for anybody who follows the campaign, I want them to reach out to us, um, even if it's somebody who, you know, said, "Hey, I read about something you said in the paper back in you know, you know, 2019 that really frustrated me. Talk to me more about that." Like, I want folks to engage with us because uh, you know, it, I I will be a hardworking mayor. I guarantee I'll be somebody who who makes very pragmatic decisions. That's just who I am as a person, um, but also want to be accessible. And this campaign is going to be that way, and I want people to, to, to take us up on it. Okay, well, that's all I got for you. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, we've got, you know, you said about 13 months. I'm sure that we'll have you on again. Yeah, 13, 13, months worth, 13 months worth of content. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right at you. Every month. Every, everybody's going to be dying to just yeah. listen to me on podcast. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. We'll catch up again at some point. You know, good luck. And, uh legislature in the next year running the I need all the luck I can have yeah. <laughs> all right man well I appreciate right. it thank appreciate you appreciate it thank you yeah. all right man